0: Hi, and welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on the regional partisan debate regarding the Russian invasion into Ukraine. On Wednesday, a Senate committee effectively gutted a bill that would have eliminated Indiana's license requirement to carry a handgun in public. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with NIPSCO President Michael Hooper about the energy assistance programs available to help struggling families. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. U.S. Senator Todd Young is calling for the United States to stand with the Ukrainian people by immediately providing additional assistance, including military equipment and lethal aid in the wake of Thursday's invasion by Russia. But the Times reports, Hammond Mayor Thomas McDermott Jr., a Democrat who is seeking to unseat the Republican during this year's elections, challenged Young's track record when it comes to Russia. McDermott recently wrote on Twitter, quote, when will Indiana Senator Todd Young finally denounce Trump's praise for the man who started this war, end quote. The invasion sparked the same type of partisan bickering on regional social media pages Thursday morning, with Republicans and Democrats blaming each other's parties for fueling, and/or supporting Russia's aggression, the Chicago-Gary-Kenosha metropolitan region has the third-largest Ukrainian-American population in the country, at more than 45,000, according to Ameridia, a multicultural advertising, marketing, and PR firm specializing in reaching diverse and ethnic groups nationwide.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: Legislation that would allow the Aberdeen neighborhood to join the city of Valparaiso was approved by the Indiana Senate Monday. House Bill 1110 would let third-class cities like Valparaiso annex a non-contiguous residential development. The Times reports the proposed measure permits the Aberdeen Property Owners Association to initiate the annexation following a financial study. It also gives a majority of residents a chance to overrule the association to stop the annexation. Joining Valparaiso is seen as a way to help the neighborhood repair its streets and upgrade aging infrastructure. The bill now goes back to the Indiana House due to the addition of a provision that would also allow Valparaiso to annex the State Road 2 right away, connecting the city with Aberdeen.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: Plans for an $80 million mixed-use development have been unveiled in Michigan City. The 11th Street Central Project is expected to revitalize a portion of the city's downtown in conjunction with the double-tracking project on the South Shore line. The city is developing the project in partnership with the Northern Indiana Commuter Transportation District and the Indianapolis-based Flattery and Collins properties. Plans call for a 12-story high-rise that will include residential apartments, commercial space, parking, and a new train station for the South Shore line. Flattery and Collins will develop the entire city block bounded by 10th and 11th streets on the North and South sides and Franklin and Pine streets on the West and East. The partners plan to break ground in summer 2023 and have the new passenger station open by May 2024. They said... Apartments would be complete by the spring of 2025.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D Dotson.
0: Porter County is officially moving to vote centers. The change cleared its final hurdles Tuesday with the approval of the county council and commissioners. Vote center counties typically have fewer voter locations, but allow residents to cast their ballot at any one of them. Up until now, voters were limited to one specific precinct polling place unless they voted early. Clerk Jessica Bailey says the county will go from 61 polling places to 44 vote centers. Some of them have changed from what they typically would be to more accessible locations, all of them larger, um, better parking, ADA accessible, and so on. In Porter County, election officials stress that their goal is not to cut costs by closing polling places, but to increase turnout by making voting more convenient. The complete Porter County Vote Center plan, including a list of locations, can be found on the county's website.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson.
0: The Indiana Department of Health announced changes to its COVID-19 dashboard Wednesday. In the announcement, it said the adjustments were in response to its recent shifts in school reporting and the current state of the pandemic. The first change will eliminate unique individual positivity rates, as well as testing fields from the dashboard. In a statement, State Health Commissioner Dr. Chris Box said that was because at-home tests, which are not reported to the state, no longer provide an accurate reflection of the pandemic. Second, the IDOH will add a new dashboard to illustrate COVID-19's effect on Hoosiers 19 and younger. The Indiana Youth Dashboard will reflect cases, hospitalizations, and vaccinations. The state said in the announcement that change was made now that schools are no longer required to report cases. It will replace the school dashboard beginning on Monday February 28th.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. In a stunning move,
0: a Senate committee Wednesday effectively gutted a bill that would have eliminated Indiana's license requirement to carry a handgun in public. That change came in the final minutes of the hearing after eight hours of testimony and debate. The bill as it now stands keeps Indiana's handgun carry The bill as it now stands keeps Indiana's handgun carry permit system in place and it adds a new provisional license, a temporary permit a person can use to carry a handgun in public while the state processes their application for the permanent handgun license. But almost no one testified on such a proposal. Rather, the eight hours was spent debating eliminating the licenses entirely. Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter, Doug Carter raised eyebrows as he called out Republican lawmakers and their supermajorities. In impassioned testimony, he said the permit system gives police in the field the only quick way to check whether a person is legally allowed to carry.
2: It's often so easy to talk about your support for public safety. But if you choose to support this bill, you will not be supporting us. You'll not be supporting your frontline officer.
0: Most of the law enforcement groups in the state opposed the original bill, the Chiefs of Police, the Fraternal Order of Police, the Prosecuting Attorneys Council, and the State Police. But law enforcement opposition was not universal. Martin County Sheriff Travis Roche says the permit system gives officers a false sense of security.
2: Possessing a permit does not exclude a human being from violence.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: A controversial school curriculum and parent transparency bill underwent more changes and passed out of a Senate committee Wednesday. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Jenny Lindsay reports, Republicans approved the changes proposed by the bill sponsor, but rejected all of those offered by Democrats. Opposition to House Bill 1134 has grown as it moves through the legislature from teachers, black Hoosiers, and students. Hundreds of people have converged on the statehouse in recent weeks to urge the bill's defeat. Senator Eddie Melton offered an amendment in committee that would have required enhanced black history be taught in high school history classes like the state already requires for the Holocaust. The amendment failed.
1: Seriously think about the message that you are sending when we didn't pass a simple amendment to teach our children about the sins of this country.
0: During the final vote, most Republicans supported the bill, but Republican Senator Gene Lysing said the only correct vote was no. It passed anyway and now moves to the full Senate. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Jeannie Lindsay.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D. Dotson. On
0: Thursday, President Joe Biden announced a new round of sanctions targeting Russia after its invasion of Ukraine, charging that Russia's Vladimir Putin, quote, chose this war and his country will bear the consequences. These sanctions target Russian banks, oligarchs, and high-tech sectors. The penalties fall in line with with the White House's insistence that it would look to hit Russia's financial system and Putin's inner circle, while also imposing export controls that would aim to starve Russia's industries and militaries of U.S. semiconductors and other high-tech products.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Ukrainians living in Indiana are keeping a close eye on the situation back home after Russia launched an invasion of the country Thursday morning. Olga Antonova is one of them. She fled to Zionville a month ago with her two children and husband because she was fearful of an invasion. She hopes it is possible to go back home when it is safe. The younger one is in middle school and the older one is in high school and uh, they need to go back to their studies and they need to go back to their classmates and to their normal life. Antonova is among the roughly 19,000 Ukrainians living in the state. More than a million Americans of Ukrainian descent currently live in the U.S. Steve Boyles is the director of Mission to Ukraine, which focuses on providing resources such as food, medical services and shelter for Ukrainian women, children and those with disabilities in the state.
3: I I think that um, most people are assuming
2: that this is a new thing um, that Russia just decided, but they've been occupying parts of the east and the south.
0: The organization has started an emergency fundraiser to help their relatives and friends still in Ukraine.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson.
0: Indiana is looking for ways to get the word out that college may be more affordable than you think. Network Indiana's Eric Berman has a report.
2: For three straight years, the Senate has voted to require high school students to fill out the college financial aid form. This year, a House committee has proposed an alternative, have the state notify parents the form is out there and offer help filling it out. Josh Garrison with the Commission for Higher Education says he prefers the Senate version, but either bill would be an improvement.
3: If they need assistance in
2: filing that, we would be able to connect them further with that information on how to file. Additionally, uh, it would allow the option for us to find out why students do not want to file the FAFSA, and that would help us improve our outreach to those students over the course of the next few years. The Indiana Chamber says Indiana's low college attendance was one factor in losing out on big investments by Amazon and Intel.
3: Eric Berman, Network Indiana.
1: You're listening to Lakeshore Update with D Dotson. Here's
0: regionally speaking host Chris Nolte with a conversation with NIPSCO President Michael Hooper.
3: NIPSCO has a new president, and we're talking with him today to find out more about the uh, Northwest Indiana-based utility, what the uh, the future looks like as well, too, and we're talking about, in this case, renewable energy. Michael Hooper is the president of NIPSCO, and uh, Michael, thank you for joining us on Lakeshore Public Radio.
2: Thanks, man. I'm really, really uh, happy to be here and looking forward to the opportunity to talk to you.
3: Well, thank you. Michael, you were named uh, NIPSCO president uh, during the pandemic, and, and you set a goal of 100% reliability. Will you tell us a, a bit about your journey to become NIPSCO's president?
2: Yeah, Chris. It's it's really uh, a c- cool story. So I came to Northwest Indiana, my wife and I, in 2011. I'd spent uh, the previous was nearly 16 years at American Electric Power, another uh, all-electric large utility in the Midwest, and, and, and had an opportunity to come to NIPSCO and, and work on some of the environmental controls, uh, big projects on our power plants down in, in Wheatfield, Indiana, as well as in Michigan City. And and that evolved into an opportunity to get into the electrics operations side of the business and, and run electric operations for a while, and then move over in, into the regulatory and government affairs and strategy parts of the organization which really i think those three facets along with my prior experience really set me up uh, in a position to be able to uh you know thankfully and very appreciatively take on the opportunity to to be president mm-hmm. of ipsco and serve uh, the customers here in northern indiana and, and serve the employees mm-hmm. of this company and uh, it's been a it it's hard to believe that I've been in the utility business for 27 years now. Uh, when I look back on it, the time surely flies. And when we see how the, the business is changing and transitioning now, uh, it really is an exciting time to, to be at the helm of the utility.
3: I would imagine that every utility is a little different, but there have to be some uh, similarities, I'm sure, from the place that you came from and coming into working for NIPSCO. Will you talk a little about uh, uh, some of the, the same things that are the same and the things that are different now?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one thing I'll start with what's with what's different, uh, and one of the most appealing things to me about my time here at NipSCO is, you know, I came from a utility that, you know, had millions of customers spread over multiple states, uh, you know, over 20,000 employees, and uh, a very well-run utility, very well-respected utility, and the and in, in very innovative utility as you look back through the history uh, of the evolution of electric business. But with very large organizations, uh, sometimes uh, the wheel turns slow. And it's just sometimes a function of the mass of that organization. I mean, if you think about it, if you just want to get a simple message out to all employees, whatever it takes to do that. When I came to NIPSCO, what I found was that um, it was of a size and shape and culture that uh, we could uh, make decisions relatively quickly Uh, and take action on those decisions and be much more nimble. Uh, And I know for a utility, nimble is a relative word, uh, but as it goes with utilities, to be able to affect change more quickly, uh, which I really appreciate because, uh, again, of the changing nature of the business. Uh, From a similarity standpoint, you know, I think the foundation I had at AEP around uh, good, strong uh, operational base, uh, an eye toward reliability and safety, uh, both public and employee safety, uh, as well as an eye toward the future and, and always keeping, uh, you know, a lens on where the business is going and how to be, look strategically and stay in front of it. Those are very similar to what we're trying to accomplish here at NIPSCO uh, and the work that we're doing uh, with just our "Year Energy, Your Future
3: campaign mm-hmm. yeah.
2: is, is a good example of that and how NIPSCO, quite frankly, is one of the leaders in the industry uh, in that respect.
3: Well, in fact, let's uh, talk about your energy, your future initiative. It's uh, the one that is showing uh, Nipsco's transition from uh, just burning coal to make energy uh, for electricity and uh, in turn uh, going to, to wind and solar energy. In fact, last fall you broke ground on uh, two of the new solar installation projects. Will you tell us more about them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have three uh, wind farms that are already in service uh, as part of this transition. And to the point you just made, we broke ground last fall on two very significant uh, solar installations. One that is in Jasper County, actually just in the shadows of our Schaefer Coal Generation Station, Uh, that is going to be about 265 megawatts. Uh, And another down by one of our wind installations called Indiana Crossroads Solar, adjacent to our Indiana Crossroads Wind Farm, that's in White County, Indiana. Uh, that's 200 megawatts. So we're talking about um, 200 and uh, 465 megawatts of solar energy uh, that will replace a, a portion of that retiring Schaefer generation. And co- what comes with that, besides the transition to cleaner, uh, more sustainable inter- forms of energy, which is a key focus, but also uh, an, a better economic profile that comes with those assets as well as jobs. Uh, and uh, tax revenue, as well as uh, landowner payments. You know, when we uh, work with the developers to create these landowner agreements and and lease these properties from landowners, you know, they get a disbursement each year uh, relative to that you know that access that they provide for us. So it really is a cool process by which you know we're solving a lot of future uh, here and now, and uh, we're doing it in a way that uh, continues to support these communities.
3: Now, you mentioned uh, the, the, the opportunities, of course, that are available uh, for uh, for having uh, energy from uh, renewable energy sources, uh, there, as well as, uh, at least for now, the uh, traditional coal-fired power plants. And uh, we we know that uh, many of our community members are, are facing some tough economic times these days, a lot of it because of uh, the pandemic, as well as rising inflation costs of energy. And for those folks that are having difficulty paying their NIPSCO bills, I understand that uh, there are some... Income eligible payment assistance plans. Uh, How can residents find out more about those?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these investments we're making in renewables are going to lower our overall cost of generation, you know, over the long term. And and what you're talking about really is, okay, that's great. What about today? Mm -hmm. Uh, And with rising inflation costs, with the cost of of the commodity itself, natural gas uh, being that one of those primary commodities, uh, you know, how can we help our our customers and We have uh, for years and continue to encourage our customers, if you uh, are having uh, trouble paying your bill, you can visit our website at NIPSCO.com. Always, you can call our 800 number, but it's pretty efficient to visit our website at NIPSCO.com slash assistance. And there's tons of information on there around payment assistance options. There's a program called LIHEAP. It's an acronym that uh, the federal government, actually the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, uh, funds this. Uh, and through a, a funded uh, block, federal block grant, and uh, those customers that can apply and 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 receive LIHEAP funding can get uh, a significant portion uh, of their bill uh, taken care of through that. And then for customers that are just outside that that median income, medium income for LIHEAP, so we're talking about people that are in that uh, just above 150, so 151 to 250 percent of that federal poverty level. Uh, We also have what's called the NIPSCO Hardship Program, which would offer up to $400 in gas bill assistance uh, for those households. And then last but not least, like I mentioned earlier, if you're having trouble paying your bill, reach out to us. Reach out early and often. We have flexible payment plans for our customers uh, that need financial support. We have uh, options that vary from three months uh, out to as far as 12 months for those eligible LIHEAP customers. We really want to... uh, help you maintain your service, and be able to uh, to uh, pay your bill, uh, even if you need a payment option plan to be able to do that.
3: We're talking with Michael Hooper, who is the president of NIPSCO, and uh, we've just been talking about some of the traditional energy assistance programs. I understand there are two new energy assistance programs that are now in effect that can help seniors and veterans who are having trouble paying their utility bills. Will you tell us more about them?
2: Yeah, sure, Chris. This is, these are two that we're really excited about and and we've, we've uh, developed two new income-eligible energy assistance programs uh, for eligible customers that need this financial assistance with uh, your gas bill. And these include uh, what we're calling Silver and Serve, S-E-R-B, Serve. The, the Silver program are for seniors ages 60 and older uh, that are in Indiana that are low income and uh, need help with uh, their energy bill. And so we're using the acronym for low-income, senior low-income vulnerable energy resource, which is silver. And then our active U.S. military and veterans that would fall into these same categories uh, would fall under the Supply Energy Resources to Veterans, or S.E.R.V. program. Those who qualify, you can receive a a one-time benefit of up to $400 per year. And this program opened on February 1st and is going to run all the way through the end of May. We're going to distribute these funds on a first-come, first-served basis. So if you fall into either one of those categories, you want to learn more, again, back to that website, nipsco.com assistance. You can find information there on how to, how to apply, as well as, again, you can always reach out uh, to our 800 number, and some of our very well-qualified and dedicated customer service representatives can help you through that process.
3: What kind of initial word or, I guess, response have you gotten to the new programs that are now in effect?
2: Yeah, so as soon as we started getting the information out, along with some information around some increased LIHEAP funding that was um, approved at the federal level, uh, particularly around the pandemic and pandemic response, you know, both of those, uh, we we have some encouraging signs of of, uh, interest and uptake. Uh, but what i will tell you chris is that every year there are funds significant funds that go unused uh because folks either uh aren't aware or the they don't follow through with the process uh or somewhere in between and so uh, opportunities like this opportunities in social media on our website in in bill inserts uh, and a whole host of other uh, ways that we try to get out uh, to the communities Uh, to make sure that folks are aware of these opportunities, and then they can uh, work to take uh, part in those. Uh, We really want those funds to be spent uh, and and support those customers that really need the help uh, and use these funds accordingly.
3: Now, if you will, give us that website address again if anybody wants to know more, not only about the Energy Financial Assistance Programs, but also more about Your Energy, Your Future initiative.
2: That's right. It's it's nipsco.com. That's the easiest place to get there. And as you navigate around... There's an assistance area where you can find out about assistance. There's information there. If you need to start, stop or transfer your service, you can do that on the website now, uh, as well as learning more about your energy, your future and our transition uh, to a portfolio that will be primarily renewable we will still have uh, some traditional forms of generation, including natural gas uh, as we transition along here. But all that information is on our website. And I also want to put a plug in for our app that we launched. Last year, oh, yes. uh, so for those folks that, that like uh, interacting over an app on your phone, you can go to the app store uh, or the uh, if you're on a Google phone, you can follow that same process through their app store uh, to be able to download that app obviously for free, uh, connect your account and utilize the app. Uh, as well as our traditional website.
3: Michael Hooper is the president of NipSCO, and thank you for being with us to bring us up to date on not only how uh, the energy assistance programs are doing these days, but the uh, ongoing Your Energy, Your Future initiative to help make the switch over from burning coal to uh, cleaner and more renewable energy. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely,
2: Chris. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte can be heard each Monday through Thursday at 11 a.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and streaming online at lakeshorepublicradio.org, where you can also find podcasts of the show when you click on the program link. For the latest and local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local hosts, chris noti Lakeshore update is supported by the listeners and members of lakeshore public radio 89.1 fm podcasts for Shore update are posted each friday on our website lakeshorepublicradio.org as well as on npr1 make sure you search for wlpr and select us as your home station music for Lakeshore update was written and produced by bensound.com for Lakeshore update i'm d dodson